Kalofalava, Hawaii Nei Okoroi Hawkins, Usimaya Laupa Fofonga Ile Pacific Waves RNZ Pacifica. Coming up. He reported that four vehicles were burned, three vehicles belonging to the member's office. A PNG minister is attacked by his own supporters amid sporadic incidents of election campaign related violence. The athletics track is open and the baseball field is, is just about ready. Uh, all the other facilities are, are open and ready. The Northern Marianas prepares to welcome athletes for the 2022 Pacific Mini Games. How do you get there to China, which now has the uh, U.S. State Department uh, thoroughly engaged? And we continue our Taiwanese series on the U.S. Compacts of Free Association with a unique perspective from Guam. Police in Papua New Guinea say their investigations into last week's attack on Energy Minister and Okapa MP Saki Soloma have found he was set upon by his own disgruntled supporters and not that of any rival candidate or party, as earlier reported. The incident took place last Friday at Okapa Station in the Eastern Highlands. Speaking to the national newspaper about the ordeal, Mr Soloma said his convoy was heading down to the market area when they came across a huge crowd of his supporters. He said all was well until someone threw a bottle at one of the vehicles in his convoy and all hell broke loose. The minister had to be extracted by security forces from the area and the angry mob torched the vehicles in his convoy. Joining me is our PNG correspondent, Scott Waide, who's been speaking to local police. Thank you, Dr. Wantok. What more do we know about this incident? So this this happened last week, but it was uh, it, it took a bit of time for the facts to come out because uh, it's... It happened in the Eastern Highlands, um, and it was uh, four vehicles were burned in the incident, and a few people attacked. Uh, and uh, apparently, the minister was in the centre of it, and he was uh, rescued by police. Um, yeah, so he's, he's safe and sound. Right, and just a bit more about the the person involved, the minister and his um, constituency, please. Yes. So his name is uh, he was, he's the Minister for Energy, Saki Soloma, and his the according to police and this report is from the uh, Northern Regional Division, Northern Divisional Commander, uh, Assistant Police Commissioner Peter Guinness. Um, he reported that uh, four vehicles were burned, three vehicles belonging to the member's office, and one belonging to a construction. Uh, company that was operating in the area that had no connection to any of the politics. So uh, his supporters actually uh, burnt three of the vehicles and plus that extra one that was, uh, I mean, um, the, the additional one that was there. Um, and according to uh, Mr. Guinness, he, uh, police were deployed and police uh, were, went in time to uh, pull him out of the situation and take him over to Goroka which is the provincial capital. Right. And, and initially the reporting was that this might be some political rivalry, but, but that's not the case, is it? No, it's, it's, I mean, during election time, you'd expect some, some kind of violence uh, or some level of violence or some, uh, some disgruntled supporters, but this is uh, not an, uh, an inter-party, inter-political party rivalry that happened. There may have been elements to it, but uh, at this stage it's unconfirmed, but with, Police are definitely uh, have confirmed that it's uh, a group of supporters that belong to him who were unhappy, believed to be unhappy with his performance, and then they reacted in that manner. Yeah, and he's he's okay, is he? 
And his staff? Um, yes, uh, police have said that he is in in the in the Eastern Islands capital, Goroka, but they haven't laid any charges yet because they're waiting for him to come and press those charges, I mean, lay complaints, so that people can be arrested. And at this point in time, police can't act on it because he hasn't laid a complaint yet. Right. And uh, early days for campaigning, but already uh, I was seeing some of these tensions. Uh, across the country, uh, are there similar similar um uh, things happening? Is it this? Are these sort of isolated incidents? In at times like this, you get a lot of isolated incidents, and you know when you're looking from outside into the country, you, you there's this tendency to try to connect this and connect that. Uh, but usually in Papua New Guinea, it's a set of isolated incidents that happen during this period of time, during campaigning, during polling, uh, election time. So. Um, security uh, is always of a high priority when it comes to election and particularly going into the highlands, there's a lot of attention given to security issues uh, and security operations into the highlands. And uh, police are usually uh, sent to the highlands first uh, to quell instances of violence um, and to keep order until that part of polling is done or that part of counting is done and then they, they move on to another location. Right, and and um, j- just ending on on that uh, on police um, resources and that heading into this election, uh, we've heard a bit from them, have we, in terms of their preparations? Um, well, first of all, the security operations are always, as I said, given given a high priority, but they they've usually always pockets of underfunding, um, the the difficulties that uh, they constantly face. The same with the electoral commission. Um, there's always some shortfall in some areas uh, and costs are always high uh, in terms of transport, logistics, um, going into rural areas. It's always difficult um, finding the money for helicopters because uh, in, in some areas it's you know landlocked. Uh, you don't have roads and the, giving the ability for people to travel in. Uh, by road, so it's it's a it's a difficult country to manage in terms of uh, getting the polling teams out there and getting polling boxes out there. Yeah, definitely. As always, quite awe inspiring watching some, uh, seeing some of the images that usually come out of, of what people go through to get uh, this democratic process through. And it's easy to forget. I mean, Papua New Guinea. We talk about like small Pacific island countries. Papua New Guinea isn't one of those, is it? More than a close, <laughs> close to nine million people, and I mean, I've had the privilege of flying over some of the highlands, and and it's a vast, huge, uh, remote area. And we're not even talking about even the atolls and the and the outlying islands as well. No, no, no. You know, when when uh, when people talk about the Pacific and they say uh, Papua New Guinea is part of the Pacific, it's difficult for Papua New Guineans to imagine themselves being part of the Pacific. You know, the beautiful oceans and all that, because all we see. Uh, large mountains and uh, <laughs> difficult terrain and all that. So, it, yeah, the, the perceptions are very different in Papua New Guinea. In just two weeks' time, the Northern Marianas will start welcoming sporting delegations from 19 Pacific countries for the 2022 Pacific Mini Games. The Games will be held from the 17th to the 25th of June in Saipan, Tinian and Rota. Around 1,000 athletes are expected to participate in the nine sporting codes, athletics, badminton, baseball, beach volleyball, golf, tennis, triathlon, VAR racing and weightlifting. Joining me is the Chief Executive of the Pacific Games Council, Andrew Minogue. 
Kalofalawa, Andrew. So just over a fortnight ago now, is everything on track for the Games? Yeah, very much so. Uh, the finishing touches are being applied to the competition venues as we speak. Um, the athletics track is open and the baseball field is, is just about ready. Uh, all the other facilities are, are open and ready. So we're in good shape to be able to host our athletes in, in a couple of weeks. How many countries participating in, in uh, this year's mini games? We have 20. Um, the maximum would be 24, but there's uh, four of them that um, can't be with us this time for a variety of reasons. Um, but yeah, 20, 20 countries, and we're expecting um, somewhere around 1,000 athletes. Um, we're doing the final numbers on those now over the next week or so, but around 1,000 athletes and maybe 300 team officials to accompany them. So quite a healthy um, games population of, of, of over a thousand massive for for the cnmi but also an achievement in in during the pandemic to even get something like this happening right that's right um pandemic uh starting in 2020 2018 they had a super typhoon that really wrecked uh, a lot of the island and a lot of the facilities um schools and some of the um the halls and competition venues that we'd be using. So they've come through a lot. Um, and the governor up there, Governor Torres, and his administration, I think, after some um, initial doubts after the, the typhoon, um, we brought them back to the table. And I think since the pandemic's taken hold, they've really taken the approach that we used the Games in June of 2022 to send the message that the island is back open for business. It's a strong tourist island, Saipan in particular, and um, they get a lot of tourists from North Asia. And I think we'll be using the games to demonstrate uh, that they've recovered and they're, they're open for business again. So yeah, we're really looking forward to being there and to helping them out um, in their journey of recovery. Certainly. And um, one of the big, big omissions, uh, I might ask you to also name the other three countries that aren't able to participate this year, but New Zealand is is usually a, a stalwart alongside Australia at all of the Pacific Games supporting and um, participating, but not so this time. Yeah, that's correct. Um, New Zealand and Australia, as you, as you noted, uh, are part of the Pacific Games now, but it's still not as full members in terms of being able to enter all of the sports. Um, so the invitation for these mini games was for three sports only, which was athletics, beach volleyball and weightlifting. And New Zealand have told us in that situation that the, those three um, sports uh, back in your country are committed to the Commonwealth Games um, that are you know, basically only a few weeks after the mini games, the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Um, Australia has been able to find um, some athletes to, to cover uh, a couple of the sports. The other countries, Marshall Islands at the moment is completely locked because of the COVID-19 and their border is closed. So they've not been able to um, send a delegation to the mini games. Uh, Nui, they've had similar issues um, with COVID and not really having a big athlete population available to travel uh, to Saipan. And Tokelau is the other one that not, not coming. And Tokelau have a little bit of a history of mini, missing some of the mini games. They tend to be there for the big one, but you probably know quite well they're very remote and um, travel for them is not always easy. So 
We have 2019 other traveling countries to join our hosts in the Northern Marianas to make money. And we're still very confident we'll have really good competition over there. Awesome. And maybe just briefly touching on the uh, the big one, the Pacific Games, how's progress going towards that? We might come back to you for a separate interview on that closer to the time, but um, yeah, just, just how's that, that progressing yeah. as well? Yeah, it's, it's progressing well um, in the Solomon Islands. Their games were put back a few months. They were meant to be July next year, but we've moved it to November, the second half of November. Uh, to give them some more time, I think the COVID-19 delayed some of the construction pro- projects a little bit. Um, but they're going along quite well now. The warm-up athletics track has been completed, so that facility is, is ready for the local athletes to start training and preparing uh, on. Um, the indoor futsal hall will be done soon, um, and then the other constructions will probably be finished around July, August of 2023. Uh, to give the local athletes a couple of months to train on them before the games. But um, the organising committee over there is is doing a good job of, of actually preparing to, to stage the event. There's some very capable and experienced people over there who have done the Pacific Games before, so they're in good hands and uh, we're, we're really looking forward to a good games over there next year. Andrew, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and uh, all the best and safe travels. Uh, Roy, thank you very much. And to all the listeners of Radio New Zealand, we appreciate the interest always. Thank you. Today, we continue with the second part of our extended Talanoa series on the relationship between the US and the freely associated states of Marshall Islands, the Federated States of Micronesia and Palau. This is as the funding arrangements around the so-called Compacts of Free Association are coming up for negotiation next year. If you have not yet listened to part one in this series, I'll include a link in the description of this episode of Pacific Waves on our website, rnzi.com. In it, we talked about the origins of the compacts, their purpose, and the current state of affairs. Today, I'm joined by Robert Underwood, President Emeritus of the University of Guam and the Territory's former Congressional Delegate in the U.S. House of Representatives. Kia ora and welcome on Pacific Waves. During your time in the House of Representatives, what kinds of conversations were you having with your fellow Micronesian leaders as they navigated these arrangements with the U.S. federal government? Well, of course, I, I came into office uh, as congressional delegate uh, after the first compact had been signed and in trying to implement that first compact. And uh, there were a number of issues and I always saw me, myself as a as, uh, you know, trying to help uh, my uh, fellow uh, islanders here in Micronesia. So I reached out to all the embassies, the uh, FSM, uh, Marshall Islands, and uh, Palau in Washington, D.C., and whatever I could do to help them along. Uh, Our issue from Guam's point of view at that time uh, was Compact Impact Aid, which was the, uh, the effect of migrants coming to Guam. And uh, one of the... Um, things that the migrants from the compact states had was that they could freely migrate into the United States, which uh, under legal terms includes uh, Guam. And, uh, and as a result of that, there were you know, issues pertaining to social services and educational services and costs, which were borne by the local government, uh, which were thought to be unfair. By the time the second compact came around, I was just leaving office 
but I could tell that the compacts were going in a slightly different direction. And, and it's important to understand that even though these are funding arrangements, the kind of international global uh, situation uh, has an effect on what exactly these uh, financial arrangements are being made. So based on the second compact, going into the second compact, uh, the uh, US government was mostly interested in um, uh, accountability. Uh, so the quote accountability, which meant, uh, you know, holding uh, the, uh, the freely associated states governments to uh, standards of uh, how are you spending your money, who's going to spend it, how are you going to authorize it, from the freely associated states point of view, this was micromanagement. So what to the federal US government was accountability to the uh, freely associated states was micromanagement. So they came up with this uh, trust fund scenario where they would put money into a trust fund and that after 25 years, the, the financial uh, situation would sort of resolve itself and the money made from the trust fund well, of course, none of that ever happened. It was a kind of ambitious thinking to begin with. Uh, and so in the meantime, of course, the international situation has changed again dramatically. Now, we have to kind of put ourselves back at the time of the second compact. In the 1990s, uh, the U.S. Um, had basically uh, won the Cold War, so it seemed, and the Soviet Union had collapsed, and the uh, Eastern European states were, you know, clamoring to join NATO, and um, not all of them did, but some of them did. And so there was a so-called uh, peace dividend uh, in uh, U.S. thinking, because, you know, this had ushered in a new world where the U.S. was preeminent in, in, in its standing internationally. And so there was kind of like, what are we really strategically, what, what are these islands really mean to us? Well, then came the war on terror after 9-11, and then, of course, the international situation changed a little bit. And then uh, subsequent to that, of course, uh, in recent years, we have the competition between uh, the U.S. and China, uh, and China on the ascendancy, not only economically, but uh, militarily. And so now that is also now shaping the, uh, uh, the, the situation with the freely associated states. I think uh, the islands are being rediscovered all over again. So now, <laughs> first there was the initial discovery. Then there was like, well, let's just ignore them. Maybe they'll go away. Maybe everything will take care of itself. Now it's like, wow, these places are really important again. So all of that, of course, is going to have an impact into the financial arrangements that are being renegotiated. Even if the actual, uh, sometimes uh, people will point out, the actual compact itself goes on, you know, regardless of the financial situation. But of course, if you're now being seen as being more important than your, you know, than the, your value financially in, is enhanced. Uh, and it's, I guess it's a, it's a question of these tiny, tiny islands negotiating with a superpower. And I guess it's what kind of leverage do they have, right, in, in coming to these, to these negotiations? Well, it is, it is leverage. It's, a, it's a, you know, kind of a form of jujitsu, which is political jujitsu, which is, you know, how do you, how do you take your relative weakness 
and turn it into a strength. And um, and so that's that's the the that's what's in front of the uh, negotiators for the freely associated states. I I, I don't think there's any doubt um, on the U.S. side or on the freely associated side that there will be that at the end of the day they're going to sign something. <laughs> so the the point is uh, how how do you get there uh, relative to all of the activities that uh, are ongoing. With China, which now has the U.S. State Department thoroughly engaged. Tala lena moneaso mai le Pacific waves o kore hokens lene pa fetai soifua maiya manuia. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us.